your personality doesn't entitle you to inappropriate behavior. It should make you more capable and responsible to be a steward of what you've learned. So kind of what we say in these situations is, look, if you're not learning how to communicate with diversity, you haven't gone the last step. You really haven't taken the step you need to take. This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to human resources innovators about innovation in the world of HR. If you're a people leader or you're looking for a new way to think about how to help others be successful, this is the podcast for you. Rebel on, HR Rebels. All right, Rebel HR listeners, welcome to this week's podcast. I'm super excited for our guest. We have with us Nate Regeer, PhD. He is the CEO and founding owner of Next Element Consulting, a global leadership firm dedicated to bringing compassion into the workplace. Dr. Regeer is a former practicing psychologist and an expert in social emotional intelligence, interpersonal communication, and leadership. He's a top 100 keynote speaker, and he is a process communication model certified master trainer. Welcome to the show, Nate. Great to be here. Thank you. Well, we were talking before I hit record, and you know, uh, we get a lot of lot of guest uh, requests for this podcast. But when I saw your bio hit my inbox, I said, "I got to talk to this guy." So, got a lot of questions. Really looking forward to the content here today. And there's there's a number of things that you've done related to um, human capital management. Uh, you're also a founder and a CEO, so some really interesting background there. But I think the first question that I have is, what led you into this path of studying people and then helping businesses use that to make the workplaces better? Wow. Um it's a great question. I'll try to keep it short because the story starts way back in childhood when um, I grew up the son of missionary parents in Africa. And so I observed a lot of interactions between my parents and other people and just seeing social skills and seeing uh, compassion in action and always kind of emu- wanted to emulate my parents and th- saw them as role models for how to get along with people and how to deal with conflict and how to bring diversity together around common goals. But uh, I actually was a business major in college and I, I switched my major to psychology after trying to, after going to buy the Economics 3 textbook and it was massive and it had a floppy disk attached to it. And I had heard that floppy disks could hold like 10 times as much information as a textbook. And I was like, forget that. I'm changing my major to something easy like psychology, <laughs> which wasn't easy at all. But uh, I, my whole life, I've been a student of the human of the human behavior and human condition. I just love it. So yeah, I went into psychology, got my doctorate there and practiced for 11 years. And I'm only say I'm in recovery because things are changing so fast. And I still use the skills every single day, but felt like I could make a bigger difference in the corporate world, working with leaders, applying the principles of psychology and social emotional intelligence to affect workplaces. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I I laughed out loud because um, I was also a business major, and and I had the same, I had the exact same experience. I started getting into uh, like you know calculus and you know like you know things like algorithms and financial accounting, and I'm like. Oh geez, I had and when it came time to pick my major, 
I thought about psychology, but I'm like, I'm too far gone. I wasn't that great of a student, you know? So it was like, geez, if I change my major now, I got another two years ahead of me. So I ended up going into marketing, which for me was the closest thing to psychology I could get within the business school. Yeah. Um, and then I did nothing with that, you know, marketing side of my degree, but I, you know, I had that context as a human resources practitioner. So I, I yeah, I think, uh, that seemed to work out fine. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I should go back and get a business degree because I probably need that as much as anything, trying to run my own company. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think that's one of the things I wanted to touch on a little bit. And I think it's so fascinating um, because I agree with your perspective. You know, the study of human behavior is just a really, really fascinating thing for me. And it's, you know, it's it's part scientific curiosity but the other piece of it is, you know, as a business professional, it's so much of the work that you do. I mean, there's there's almost no jobs where you don't have to interact with others in order to achieve yeah. a common goal, right? And so, and then it's it's funny. I, I reflect on my personal experience, you know, and just even over the last you know two years, there's talk about a lot of a lot of challenges, and pretty much all of them have been related to to people, you know, whether it's COVID or diversity, equity, and inclusion, or mental health in the workplace, you know, and one day my CEO turned to me and he goes, I don't know what to do. This is all HR stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think you can insert psychology there as, as well in place of HR. So I know you've got a lot of content created. You've written three books. The newest book is Seeing People Through, Unleash Your Leadership Potential with the Process communication model. So what got you into writing and and ultimately what got you into writing this latest uh, book? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been a practitioner of the process communication model for a long time. I actually was trained and certified and used it in my clinical work before I was, while I was still practicing psychologist. But, um, you know, I, you're so right. You know, everything really comes down to human interaction. And when I was choosing my path in clinical, um, in psychology, there was the, there was the academic folks that were going on to be professors and researchers. And then there was the clinical folks who were going on to practice therapy. And in my program, they didn't really, they, they kind of looked down on the, on the clinical folks. It's like, you're not legit. You're just going to go do easy therapy. We're going to go, you know, learn new things and study. But my problem always was in the ivory tower. I mean, not that I don't have anything against research and academics, but it's so far removed from the day-to-day -day stuff we got to do. And it seems like it takes years years for the things we learn there to be put into practice. So I'm much more of an action research guy, much more applied research. Um, and, and that's how I really got into it. When I, when I was introduced to the process communication model, I'd never heard of it in graduate school. I'd never heard of it before. And it like blew my mind because it was deep psychologically informed, but also incredibly practical. And it gave me all kinds of insights that improved my clinical work. But also I was in a leadership position at the time and it really kind of jump-started and fast-tracked my leadership skills. And so that's been a central part of my life ever since. And and I've gone on up and become a certifying master trainer now. So I, I kind of help oversee the global fidelity of the model and, and, and that. But I always wanted to write a book about it, but I wanted the book to be super practical, super applied, super relevant to leaders and people in business. And so finally, uh, finally got around to doing that and it published last year. 
So I'm fascinated to learn more about this. So I'll be honest, I have no idea what the process communication model is. So, and I'm sure there's yeah, a number yeah, yeah. Of, of listeners who are, who are saying, well, this sounds like something I should know about, but I don't know anything. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I will admit, I don't know what this is. Okay. So sure. for, for me and our listeners, uh, what is the process communication model? Well, you're not alone. Uh, it was new to me when I heard of it, but I knew about DISC. I heard of Myers-Briggs. I mean, you can drop those names. Everybody's sure. heard of that stuff. So process communication model is a behavioral model of communication that identifies personality differences from the point of view of how we communicate. So the whole idea is that personality diversity is really only relevant when two or more people are trying to get something done. And people get something done by communicating with each other. So if we're going to understand personality, we have to understand it through communication behavior. And that's what makes it different from any other model is that it was actually discovered and developed by observing behavioral patterns and behavioral um, consistencies in people. And so uh, a, a psychologist by the name of Dr. Tabby Kaler was studying how people behave when they're in distress and started seeing these really unique and distinct patterns of behavior, which eventually became six distinct personality types that we all have inside of us. Um, and then this model was further validated at NASA for the selection and training of astronauts in the space program, space shuttle program. Um, and it's been used all over the world, but it really finds niche markets. You know, it's in a lot of Fortune 500 companies, but it also is in Pixar animation studios they use it for character development all of the movies since the incredibles have used this model to develop the archetypes of all the characters so it's a super accurate super predictable relevant model of individual differences but it really is all about learning how to communicate with each other we'll be back after a quick break and so used to having everything in front of them right away that we forget that innovation just takes time. I, I myself, I get frustrated too. Why? And you know, this is being one of my best friends is, Hey, I talk to you all the time. Hey man, I'm frustrated in the fact that I can't seem to just get there in mm -hmm. the next day, but that's just not how these things work, right? Innovation needs to be planned out. It needs to be very methodical. And then when it finally hits, that's when it seems like to everyone else that it, it sort of just came out of nowhere. But to you, you know, the amount of dedication that it took over that time. That's fascinating. And, you know, a couple, you know, mild name drops there, you know, NASA, <laughs> Pixar, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's just cool. And if yeah. anybody knows me, I'm like, oh yeah, let's, I, I'll, I talk to stuff all day, disc, yeah, yeah, yeah. Myers-Briggs, whatever, like, you know, which, you know, you take the quiz on Facebook, which, you know, Disney princess are you? Yeah. Um, et cetera. So, but what I think is so fascinating about this, and I, you know, I'm getting all these kind of these aha moments as you're just describing the model is, you know, it's behavioral, right? So it's, to me, it almost, it reminds me of kind of the competency model where mm -hmm. you can actually measure behavior once you define behavior and then leverage that to figure out yep. who can work together. And if they're not working together, why, as opposed to focusing on, oh, this person needs this person has an issue with that person and we need to just coach it out yeah. of them. Right. Yeah. Am yeah. I, am I on the right track there? You you are on the right track and I'm not, I'm not bagging other models of personality. The only thing is, is how many people have taken the quiz, taken the assessment, maybe gotten a little debrief, 
at work under the under the guise of oh we're going to learn about individual differences so we can get along better and then that's the end of it and then next thing you know people are using personality like an entitlement program like well i'm a high d so i can i can say whatever i want in meetings because you know you need somebody that just tells it like it is or i'm an introvert so nobody talked to me before lunch and i can take time off any time i want to it's like wait your personality doesn't entitle you to inappropriate behavior. It should make you more capable and responsible to be a steward of what you've learned. So kind of what we say in these situations is, look, if you're not learning how to communicate with diversity, you haven't gone the last step. You really haven't taken the step you need to take. And that's why I'm so glad that inclusion is like front and center now, yeah. because diversity is great. We learn about differences, so maybe we can appreciate and tolerate then we're like, oh, no, 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 we need to leverage, you know, we need to celebrate diversity. And, and we do all that. But at the end of the day, we got stuff to get done. And the whole point of diversity is that differences are meant to be used together to achieve something wonderful. And we can't do that without communication. So PCM is kind of that, that missing piece for a lot of companies we work with. Yeah, I love that. And I think about the, you know, the opportunity as you said, to have actual practical application of a model. Um, in the context of, you know, diversity and inclusion, I think about it in kind of like this, you know, diversity for me, that's the noun, right? Like that's the, that's the yep. description, but the, but inclusion is really the verb, right? That's the yeah. thing that you can do. Yeah. You can be inclusive and you can build inclusive structures. Um, so I want to touch on something else that you mentioned and, and, I know in your book you 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 dive into this a little bit, but it's the fact that the uh, process communication model talks about types in people versus types of people as as a theme. So um, yeah. maybe explore that yeah. a little bit more for our listeners. I am so glad you picked up on that, and so glad you brought that up because that is really a profound concept when you think about it because. What Dr. Kaler discovered is these six distinct patterns of communication that make up personality types. Everyone has all six, and they're arranged in a preferred set order, and they're measurable, and they're observable. So it's kind of like six muscles, and we all have all six, and they make up our personality. So with six dimensions, there are 720 possible combinations and over 4,000 different ways in which it can go together. So what I love about types in people, what that means, if you step back a little bit, is that in order for me to appreciate and include you, I have to appreciate and include that part in me. And if I'm going to other you or hate you or, or discriminate against you, I am hating that part in me. And so we are connected. We are interconnected in that way. So when we teach PCM, we say, look, diversity or inclusion starts inside of you. You have to include all six types in you first and learn how to appreciate them and love them and talk to them and motivate them. And then you can reach out to other people. Otherwise, you're going out there with unconscious bias, with limitations, with blind spots, and can do a lot of damage. So it means a lot. I think it's kind of spiritual if you really think about it, that we all have all six in us. And so in me is a part of you and in you is a part of me and we can find those parts and connect. Uh, but practically it really is cool to watch it happen when we teach people these tools. That's really, um, 
That is really profound. You know, I, I don't think I'd ever, I've ever thought about, you know, kind of that in, in that way where, you know, it, so as I'm reflecting, I'm just kind of tying this back to kind of my personal experience. So there's, there's always people in the room that just connect with me, you know, and, and I'm sure that that has something to do with, with this yeah. where, you know, it's just like, you know, how you kind of always feel like you have your tribe or you have like yep. your, your people and, and you're, you're always kind of on the same level. And in the same context, there's always people who there's just always this natural conflict there. Yep. Not, not negative. Yep. You know, I'm not, I'm not get, going in fisticuffs in a you know board meeting or anything, but there's always somebody who I know yep. is going to be the contrarian to yeah. where I'm at. So is that, is that what you're describing there? That that's actually because I don't exercise that muscle enough that I can appreciate that, that perspective or. You are exactly it? describing the experience of the dynamic of miscommunication. So, you know, have you ever had those situations where someone calls, you look at the number and you're like, oh, this is going to be rough. You just know that person. It's just hard <laughs> and it's just tough. Never. And, <laughs> and then there's those calls where it's like, oh man, where'd the time go? I could just talk to that person forever. It's like you're on the same wavelength. And what Dr. Kaler discovered is that each personality type has a channel of communication. So think of it like being on the same wavelength of the same channel. And when you're on the same channel, it just goes smooth. And then within the channel is what we call a perceptual frame of reference. It's like a subdialect in the English language. And there's six subdialects. So if you come up, if you come up against someone, or someone is, comes into your space, and they speak the same subdialect or perceptual frame of reference as you, and you're on the same channel, it's easy peasy. It's like I trust this guy. We get each other. You just naturally, it's easy. But when let's say let's say you're you someone comes at you and they're using the subdialect, it's still English but they're using a subdialect that is your least developed muscle. You're going to be like, man, this is tough, or I have mm -hmm. to work really hard to understand what they're saying, or I just want to get away, or it's really easy for you to misunderstand each other. So what PCM does is it breaks it all down and shows you exactly what's happening so it's understandable and you can work on it and develop those muscles. That's fascinating. How does that interplay uh, with, with different cultures or even with different actual spoken language is, is, are yeah. these universal traits or, or is this a kind of a cultural phenomenon in many ways? It's universal. In fact, um, personality is beneath, it's a, it's beneath all of the other types of diversity. There's a couple models of diversity like, um, oh, Garden Schwartz and Rowe, they put diversity at the center and everything else comes out of that. Um, there's another one called the iceberg model of diversity and like, 12 out of the 20 dimensions of diversity that are kind of beneath the surface are personality. So yeah, it's universal. I've trained and taught and coached trainers all over the world in multiple different countries and languages, and all six types are there. They're all beneath the surface and they're independent of the language that is spoken. Um, now, there are cultural influences on the expression of personality. Certain types maybe are not as welcome in a culture, but they're mm. still there. Um, mm. So so the short answer is yes, it's universal, it's beneath all the other types of diversity, and it manifests itself in every language. It's fascinating. And now, a word from our sponsors. When Molly, Patrick, and I started to figure out how to start our own podcast, we didn't know where to start. Thankfully, we found Buzzsprout. 
Buzzsprout makes it super easy for us to upload our episodes, track our listeners, and get listed on all the major podcast networks. Today's a great day to start your own podcast. I know that you're one of our listeners, so you've definitely got something to say. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your reach online. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording. Podcasting isn't that hard when you have the right partner. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. And now, for listeners of Rebel HR, you can get a $20 Amazon gift card sent to you from Buzzsprout by clicking in the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Are you looking to grow your personal brand or your business brand? Take it from me that podcasts are a great way to do it. Here's the secret. We all want to feel connected to the brands that we buy from. What better way to humanize a brand than through sharing your personal story on a podcast? I have had great success with KitCaster. KitCaster is a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. And let me tell you, it's all about the right human connection. You can expect a completely customized concierge service from their staff of communication experts. KitCaster is your secret weapon in podcasting for business. Your audience is waiting to hear from you. For a limited time offer, listeners to the Rebel HR podcast can go to www.kitcaster.com backslash rebel to get a special offer for friends of the podcast. Rebel on. And, you know, my, my context, so my organization's international, so I get to talk to people in Singapore and Amsterdam and the UK, all, all sometimes in the same day, it's super awesome. And actually total tangent, but like COVID has actually brought us all closer together because we can virtually interact in a, in a video format, whereas it was on a phone call previously. So COVID has been kind of, kind of, you know unintentionally positive in many well, I was training respect. I was training a Dutch woman the other day in one of our models and she is a PCM trainer I'm a PCM trainer and we thought just for fun let's get rid of the words so we turned off our no she she spoke to me in Dutch and I don't understand Dutch and she she did each of the four channels of communication in PCM that I just mentioned to you. And I tried to guess which one was right. And I got them all right just (laughs) by watching body language because words is only about 10, 12% of communication. So when you know what to look for, you can even see the channels uh, without the words. Yeah. It's, that's, that's really interesting, but I could see, I could even, you know, when we're speaking different languages or somebody's, in my case, I'm an ignorant American, so I speak one language. (laughs) Fortunately, that happens to be the language that almost everybody else in the organization speaks. So for that, um, I guess that's a, you know, an unintended (laughs) benefit of being born where I'm born. But um, I still have the exact same experience where, you know, there's individuals who you just connect with and you just get it. And it's it's a great conversation. And 45 minutes later, you're like, oh, shoot, I'm late for a meeting. Yeah. And then there's the one where it's like this five minutes was the most, you know, grading experience of yeah. my day. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, miscommunication much deeper than language. <laughs> it is. So, so 
you know, I, I, I could just, I could completely nerd out on this all day. Cause I just think this is absolutely <laughs> fascinating, but I want to make sure that we continue to kind of, kind of dig into, into some of your work. And, and one of the areas that I want to talk a lot about is, is compassion mm. in the workplace. And I think that, you know, you mentioned inclusion is having a, you know, kind of a lot of focus, uh, in a, which is wonderful. But I also think, you know, compassion, mental health in the workplace, yeah. you know, in, you know, having a workplace that people actually want to be at, uh, is, is actually a, a thing now, which, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here on the sidelines, like, why weren't we talking about this 20 years ago? I mean, yeah. <laughs> who yeah. wants work to suck every day? But, yeah. um, but I think that this is one of those things that gets a lot of lip service where a business says, you know, we are compassionate, bring your authentic self. We're a safe place to, you yeah. know, um, to, to, to bring concerns and things like that. But what I found is that a, a lot of that is lip service. And a lot of times employees still aren't comfortable, you know, bringing yeah. issues forward or maybe aren't trusting that an organization means what it says when they say we want to be yeah. compassionate and we want to listen. So, uh -huh. so I think maybe on a, on a broader, on a broader question. So as, as you are helping an organization through this, or you're looking at an organization, where do you start? How do you start to build yeah. a compassionate workplace? Wow. Um, yes. Compassion is huge. It's needed. We desperately need it. And we saw a surge of it when COVID initially early on in the pandemic and it was all under the flag of we're all in this together everybody's struggling so everybody we're, we're just going to give cut everybody some slack um and then came disagreements and division around masking and mm. by and and all of this stuff and all of a sudden there was not compassion anymore now there was divisiveness and and then we tried to get back on track and then it came time to start reintegrating into work or who's got vaccines, who doesn't, who wants to come back to work, who doesn't. And all of a sudden we realized that we've experienced two ends of, of, the, of the spectrum, which, which we discovered and reconciled, which is compassion without accountability gets you nowhere. You can't nicey nice your way to high performance. You can't nicey nice your way out of an abusive relationship. You can't nicey nice your way to really tough conversations around inclusion and diversity. But the opposite is also true is accountability without compassion gets you alienated. You can't just bring the hammer down and be the big the big bad um, you know rule rule enforcer all the time and just focus on performance at the expense of people. So that caused us to step back and say, so if surely those two could coexist, how do you reconcile that? And to reconcile it, we went back to the original definition of compassion. And what we realized is for the most part, people don't get what compassion is. They totally misunderstand it. They think compassion is like empathy in action. My heart goes out to you. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to contribute to your cause. I'm just going to care about you. I'm going to support you. And I want to alleviate your suffering. But calm passion means to suffer with. Calm mm. is with. Passion means to suffer. So how do you suffer with somebody instead of suffering instead of them or taking the suffering away? And we juxtapose that to drama. Drama is struggling against each other where we're at odds and it's adversarial and there's always a loser, but compassion is struggling with each other. 
But here's the thing is the, is they both involve struggle. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get rid of the struggle. And so that's because conflict is inevitable if you're going to talk about diversity. So what I'm getting back down to is compassion is the, is the practice of struggling with each other towards a common goal. And we have to do that under certain conditions. We have to ensure people's value and their capability and their, you know, their responsibility. But this is way more than empathy. It's way more than alleviating suffering. This is about truly engaging with people towards a common goal and let conflict be your energy source. Fascinating. You know, and I, I do think about that, that conflict, you know, here's a, you know, maybe, maybe an anecdote that, recently just came across my desk and it's an individual who um it really likes working from home and has a lot of personal reasons to work from home but the the job itself is is not a full work from home position and so mm. you know the um the natural tendency um and this isn't my company so and I won't name the company but the natural tendency of the of the um the manager is, oh, it's a work from home issue. You know, this, or it's this person's issue. Like they just, they can't, they can't figure it out. Um, but what, it, what it really, you know, as I think about it in the context of compassion is it really is, it's just a source of conflict that, you know, the organization needs to maybe suffer through a little bit to understand, okay, how can we actually do this and not lose this mm -hmm. employee? But the employee probably also needs to suffer through, how do I, balance my, my personal goals with the demands of my workplace uh -huh. and, and uh -huh. try to find a common understanding. Right. And I, yeah. you know, my assumption is there's always, there's always some sort of common understanding. And if there's not, then the common understanding is this isn't going to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. But, well, yeah. no. And compassion says, compassion says we're both inherently valuable as human beings mm. and mm. we are both capable of contributing to the solution to our biggest problems. We both are part of the solution. And we are both 100% responsible for our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. All of those things are true at the same time. So when, you, when, a, when a leader and HR says, this is how we're going to be, this is a kind of a culture we're going to build where people are valuable, people are capable, and people are responsible all the time in every interaction, not one or the other. When we really hold all of those up, it really changes the way we see the ways we interact, the way we do policies, the way we deal with behavior, um, the deal, the way we deal with suffering, um, it, it changes everything. And so that's kind of why we, we've talked about what we call the compassion mindset, which is it really is a fundamental shift in how you look at yourself and other people um, in these tough situations. No, I think that's, it makes perfect sense. And it's so interesting because it's not, it's not what you would expect if you were reading all the headlines around, you know, empathy and, you know, and emotional intelligence and all the, there's so many buzzwords being thrown around there, yeah. but getting down to the base of it, this isn't just, you know, this, this warm, squishy HR goal that, you know, let's all, let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya, you yeah. know, hands across America or whatever. It, it really, it's, you know, having that accountability piece and that responsibility piece yeah. Um, while also balancing the the value of an individual, um, 
I mean, to me, that just makes business sense, right? Well, so I got to believe there's some some hard <laughs> evidence here that this works. Yes. And let's go back to psychology. Let's go back to HR's role. Let's go back to what it really means to be the steward of the people. Um, we've talked to so many HR directors. When we talk about drama and everything, they're like, yeah, we're the buffers. We're the ones that get called in whenever there's whatever. We're the ones that get in the middle of stuff and try to just smooth it all over. And it's like, no, HR should be the ones coming in and saying, let's teach you how to do this because let's teach you how to practice real compassion in this situation. Because if we're just buffering, we're, we're not holding anyone responsible or accountable. If we're just, if we're just um, trying to make it all smooth over, then we're not leveraging the potential of the conflict here. And we're not really doing our job, which is to teach people how to interact with each other in really powerful, healthy ways. Um, and I think if we try to say people are our greatest asset, well, that's also true when they're disagreeing. That's also true when there's conflict. Um, maybe conflict is really your greatest asset. So what are we going to do with that energy and how can HR be a dynamic catalyst in um, coming in in those situations and saying, let's show you how to do this and create something amazing? Um, because otherwise it's burnout. And yeah. the research out of medical, you know, the the medical field is saying that actually compassion fatigue is a misnomer. There's no such thing. Um, it's empathy fatigue is mm -hmm. what everybody's crashing and burning around because empathy triggers the pain centers of the brain. Mm. Mm. But compassion triggers the reward centers of the brain. So when you're practicing full compassion, like I'm talking about, it hurts so good at the end of the day. That's rewarding. That's fulfilling. You have something to show for it and you want to get up and do it again. But when you're practicing empathy all day, nothing wrong with it. But it's going to wear you out and tire you out because there's more than just that. Sorry, I got to stop myself. I'm about it's to get so on good. a soapbox here, but no, it says this is so good. You know, there's so there's so many like like truth bombs going on right now. You know, it's like <laughs> when you break it down to like the science of of how your brain actually works, that just makes perfect sense. But I've never thought about that before. Like the days where I go home and I'm like, and I'm I'm in general, I'm a you know I'm, I'm an extrovert. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, the days I go home where I feel like I've just, I've just absorbed people's issues, yeah. you know, and it's just like, you're just like soaking in all the negativity. And it's like, you know, I can only take so much of this before I go home and I'm a jerk to my kids. Right. Yeah. Like talk about burnout. Like that's, that's not a, that's not a thing that I can do. And I did that a lot earlier in my career Yeah. where now, I, and I don't know if this is one of them, but you know, I don't know if one of the personality, um, uh, profiles in the PCM is, uh, is conflict. But I like, like, I kind of feel like conflict is kind of like my spirit animal at this point. Yeah. Like my yeah. favorite thing is to go in and like, figure out, okay, let's get in the mix. Let's figure yeah. out what's going on. And then let's yeah. figure out how we can, you know, work together to fix it. And then, and yeah, you, yeah. you feel good, right? It energizes yeah. you if you, if it's done correctly and you feel like, Okay, I don't have to deal with this again tomorrow. <laughs> right? I think there's no, and there's a there's a a whole continuum. You know, there's the folks that just want to make conflict go away, and they'll do anything, including compromising their own boundaries to just get rid of it. And then there's people that just start it <laughs> just for fun, just to watch fires burn. You know, but in the middle are are folks that say we're not going to run away from conflict. We're going to see it as an opportunity, and we're going to start reframing conflict as an energy source to create something. And so, like you said, we do it right. We do it well. We, it doesn't ever make it easy, but it makes it productive. And it, it makes it something that brings people closer together, builds trust, 
uh, drives innovation. And that's not a, it's not an easy place to be, um, but it's a very rewarding, it's very rewarding work. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, really, really profound insights. And, and this is uh, one of my favorite conversations in a long time. So I just really appreciate it. So unfortunately, this is going to be a little bit of a teaser trailer for all the listeners who are like, yeah, give me more, give me more. Um, because we're running out of our, our time together. So I'll, I'll, I'll pitch it again, but the, the book is called seeing people through unleash your leadership potential with the process communication model you know, check it out. I mean, it, it just, I'm loving this content. It's really valuable. And I think, I think the thing that's the most exciting about this work and about this approach is it's actionable information, right? Like, like this is something yes. that I can, that I'm thinking about right now in the context of a couple challenges that are in my email inbox right now that I can think about in a different way because of this approach. So I really appreciate that. Mm. Um, with that being said, we're going to shift gears and we're going to go into the rebel HR flash round. Flash round. All right, here we go. Question number one. What is your favorite people book? Well, I did limit it to two, so I'm going to go quick. Leadership and Self-Deception, hands down, is the best book. It, it changed my life. It set me on a trajectory that everything else made sense. Fabulous, fabulous book. And then just recently published, The Unexpected Learning Moment by Gary Ridge. He's the uh, CEO of the WD-40 company. And he wrote a book about how that company navigated COVID. It's absolutely brilliant. And the lessons in there are so relevant and so fresh right now. So great. It's a great HR book. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I've never heard of that book. I use WD-40 on a very regular basis. Oh, right? so. <laughs> it's an awesome book. I mean, that company is really um, an amazing culture, an amazing culture. Uh, I grew up on that stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. Well, In addition to the books that you wrote uh, as well, you know, leaders, uh, listeners, check out those books. Uh, question number two, who should we be listening to? You should be listening to yourself and more specifically, you should be listening to your body, especially right now at this place in the pandemic, our bodies speak their minds. And it's really easy to try to put that voice to sleep or ignore it or medicate it or avoid it. But right now, listen to your body. It's telling you things that are going to help you stay resilient, help you take care of yourself, help you be ready to show up to serve other people tomorrow. Very well said. Listen to Dr. Regear. He actually knows what he's talking about, <laughs> but uh, a very, very good advice. Thank you so much. And last question, how can our listeners connect with you? I'm going to just say go to our website, look for Next Element, and that's next-element.com. And, and we've created the website so you can get in touch with us that way. And that's the best way to do it. Absolutely. And we will have that link in the show notes. So just click into your podcast player, click on the show notes. You'll be able to click right in, check it out. Really great content today. Uh, Nate, thank you so much for spending the time with us and uh, certainly looking forward to continued content to come. So thank you. You are so welcome. It's a pleasure and it's great to always enjoy talking about this. Thanks for what you're doing. Thank you. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. 
no animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.